Well, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about uh, what it means for us to be the church, uh, what it means for us to be the church in terms of how we treat one another, how we live in relationship to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've talked about how we hear and follow the call of Jesus, how Jesus invites us to serve one another, and how Jesus models that service, that life of servanthood for us as he lays down his life on our behalf. And this morning, uh, we're going to take a, another step in what it means for us to be a church, Think it through the kind of mentality that God calls us to have, uh, both as individuals and as a body, as we, as we live out this calling that he has for us. And there's a verse that I'm going to read for us. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9. This will be our key text for this morning. And it says this. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So as Peter's writing this uh, verse, he's part of a larger section, but he's writing this verse to the church. Uh, He's writing this to us, and he's using this this string of titles, both to remind us of who we are, uh, who we've been called to be, as well as to give us a sense of direction and mission as a people. Now, all of these titles that Peter lays out for us, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's own people, have their roots in the Old Testament and God's covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And so Peter is saying to us as the church that because of Jesus, we now have been brought into this special relationship with God. We now have this special calling as God's people as we live into all of these different titles. And they first kind of tell us about who we are, and then the second half of the verse gives us a little bit of a mission that we're called towards. And so the first title that Peter lays out for us is he says that we are a chosen people. Another way to translate it is that we are a chosen family, that God has called you uh, into his family, that God has called each of us to be his people, that God reached out, he saw you, he knows you, and he says, you know what, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of my people. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. Peter's saying that that, uh, God has has chosen us. Being chosen uh, means that you've responded to God's call, this call that he's placed upon your heart, this tug that he's placed within you. You're here because the Holy Spirit has, has pulled and drawn you towards God. And you respond to that by believing and acting. And so you are now a part of God's chosen family. And I, and I just want us to think for a second about what, what, what power, amen, amen. I just want us to think about like just the, the power and the beauty of what it means to be chosen. I mean, I, I, I struggle with it a lot of times, uh, that God would choose me. And because I don't know all of your backstories, but I know my own. And to think that God would see me in the midst of all of my mess and say, you know what, I, I want you to be on my team. I, I want you to be in my family. I've got a special purpose for you. I mean, and I'm still far from perfect, and God had a lot of work to do just to get me at that. But, but God chose me and God's chosen you. God's chosen you to be a part of his family. God's chosen you to be one of his children. He's invited you to be a part of the team. You were chosen by God. And Peter goes on to say, you were chosen by God uh, to be rescued from darkness into light and then be able to tell others about how God did that rescuing work in your life. 
And as those who are part of God's chosen family, uh, Peter goes on and he says, you know what, not only are you a chosen people, a chosen family of God, but you are a holy nation. Now, to be holy uh, means to be set apart. And what Peter is saying is that you've been set apart by God, uh, not so that you can stand alone, but it's so you can stand out. You've been set apart by God so that you can stand out, so that others can see God's work in your life and say, man, that person serves a good God. Man, there's something about that person's life that I want, that I need within my own life. In the Old Testament, God had his chosen people, the people of Israel, and they were chosen not because they were special, not because they were great. They were chosen by God because God wanted to reveal himself to the world around him in and through the people of Israel. God chose the people of Israel. He called them to be his holy nation. And in his covenant with them, God said, you know, I'm going to bless you as a people. And other people are going to see that blessing because you're going to be a blessing to everyone else around you. And so people are going to see that and they're going to come back and they're going to say, you know what? Those people, uh, that nation, they serve such a good God. Look at the way that God is at work in their lives. Look at the way that God is at work around them. As long as the people of Israel were following their end of the covenant, as long as they were following God's will and God's way, as long as they were keeping him first within their lives, as long as they were allowing God to direct their paths, God was going to make them a nation that was set apart so that others would see and know just how good God was. They were to stand out among all of the nations because God's hand was upon them. And people would see, look, uh, look at how good their God is. Look at all that God is doing in their lives. And so Peter is saying the same thing for each of us within our lives, that God has set the, the church apart. Uh, God has set you apart as a part of his family. God has set you apart and that God has a plan and a purpose for you, that God has a, a purpose for your life to use you, to, to bless you so that others see and know his goodness in and through you, in and through what you do. And God's plan and his purpose for you as a part of your being set apart to stand out might not always even be about you. I think that's sometimes where we get tangled up, where we get caught up, where we get messed up, is when we think that, that God is blessing me just in and because of me. And God does, but God also blesses us as a way of working through us to bless those around us. God's plan and purpose for you uh, might not always be about you. There might be things that you go through in life where where God's purpose and plan is that you just are in the right place at the right time in the right situation so that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. Even when you're going through the hardest things in life, uh, God is, is still at work, uh, not bringing about the hardest thing, but, but giving you a purpose in the midst of it so that somebody else might see and know his peace and his strength and his blessing in and through you. Right? God gives us a peace even when we're going through the most difficult, challenging things within our lives because he wants us to continue to be that witness for him. It, it makes me think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not sure if you've heard it or not. If you haven't, it's some homework you can go and read in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, that's, that's your homework for tonight, to read Daniel chapter 3. There's these three Jewish boys. They've been hauled off into exile along with all kinds of people. They're living in a foreign land, and, and the king sets up this idol, this statue of himself. And he says, you know what? I want everybody to come out before this statue, to come out before this idol, and you're going to bow down as an act of worship, as an act of saying that, that you're giving your allegiance to me as your king, and that I am first in your life. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, you know what? We can't, we can't do that. We've been, we've been set apart by God. Uh, we've been called to, to stand out, to give ourselves fully over to him. And so we're not going to bow down to this idol. We're going to stand up. And so what happens is the, the king has this trumpet that blows and all the people are f- supposed to bow down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they continue to, to stand up. So everybody looks at him and they say, well, this is crazy. What's going on? The king calls them in and he says, hey, you know what? There's, there's a punishment for this. And the punishment is that they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. They were going to be burned alive. They had a choice to make. Are we going to continue to be set apart by God? Are we going to trust that God is going to be with us even in this moment, that God is going to use this situation for his greater purposes? Or are we going to bow down? And they chose, you know what? Our, our allegiance, our hearts, our lives are aligned with God. God has done so much for us. I'm not going to leave him now. And so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. The scripture tells us that God was with them in the fire. The king even looks into the fire as they're standing there, uh, supposedly being roasted, but there's a three of them that's in the fire. And he says, you know what? I see there's a fourth person in there. And it looks like the very son of God is with them. They came through the fire. Uh, the scripture says they didn't even smell like smoke whenever they walked out of it. And because of this, because of their faithfulness, because they were set apart, because God had a greater purpose within them, even in the midst of this hardship, uh, they stood out in the midst of suffering. And the king and all of the people around them says, wow, look how incredible their God is. They, they were set apart. Uh, they stood out for God. And God was with them. Look how incredible their God is. And I think the same thing happens within our lives, within the the hardships, within the challenges, within the difficulties that we face. If our hearts are continuing to trust how great God is because of how he is with us, even in the midst of those difficult times. And so Peter says that you are a chosen people, that you're a holy nation. And he says this, he says, uh, the people of the church are to be a royal priesthood. And this is a part where he starts getting into that mission, that calling for us as a people, that calling for us as a church. And I know priests aren't necessarily one of those things that are the most familiar with us in this day and age within our culture. It would have been something that Peter's original audience would have known very well. See, in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, God's covenant people, they had priests who existed to mediate their relationship with God. They were kind of the, the go-betweens between the people and God. The priests would make sacrifice for the sins of people. The priests would, would worship God on behalf of the people in the temple. Uh, the priests would offer prayers on behalf of the people. And, and the priests would set an example for the people of what it looked like to follow God's laws. They modeled holy living and they taught the people. And God's original intentions for the people of Israel was that, that all of them would really act in this priestly function, that uh, they would be a kingdom of priests, that they would model and teach God's ways to the surrounding nations through their example. But people fell short of that. Uh, They didn't live that out. And so it became the role of the priests to model God's ways to the people of Israel. And so when Peter says that the church is called to be a royal priesthood, he's saying that, that we, as those who are followers of God, Uh, those who have said yes to Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, that that we are called to be a people who model and teach God's ways to the people around us, that we're called to be a light into all of the world. It's 
why he says we've been chosen as God's people so that we can proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. That we can proclaim, that we can tell others about this God who has rescued us from darkness. The, the darkness of not knowing God. The darkness of, of having to navigate life without accurate bearings. The darkness of sin and death. The darkness of guilt and shame that hovers over you. The darkness of a life that exists for but a short time and then comes to an end with nothing else to hope for. The, the darkness of a life that's organized by fears. We've been rescued from that darkness and called into God's marvelous light the light of his love and grace that washes over and washes away all our sins, the light of his wisdom, his, his spirit at work within us to guide and direct our paths, the light of resurrection that offers us a hope not only in this life but in a life that is to come, the light of knowing who we are as a people who are known, who are called, who are chosen, who are beloved, who are invited to be a part of God's forever family. So Peter says, because you have been called out of darkness and into light, you now have this mission as God's chosen people to proclaim this message to those around you. As those who've been called out of darkness and into light, there's a responsibility to honor this God who has transformed your life by letting other people know what he's done for you. In the same way that God called the people of Israel to be a light to the nations, God calls the church as a, as a corporate body, the church as individuals to be a light to the nations. God has given us a mission. Now, I've got a pastor friend uh, down in Estero, and uh, we were talking, and he's, he has this really great picture and idea of, of what it looks like to be a church that has a mission. And he kind of he kind of talks about it as a comparison between a couple of different kinds of ships, right? If the church is a ship... He says we can operate with a couple of different mentalities. And he talks about the, the church having either a cruise ship mentality or a battleship mentality. And he says a cruise ship offers a banquet of programs and shows that are intended to keep people entertained and occupied. Right? Passengers can decide whether they want to go to this program or this program or this program or whether they just want to go uh, you know, sit out on the deck and catch some sun. And I've never myself been on a cruise, but it seems to me like it's the kind of thing that you do when you just want to let go of any kind of responsibility. Like, I don't have anything to be responsible for. I just show up, and I'm there. One aspect of this cruise ship mentality is that, is that the cruise kind of operates in a way so that it keeps people happy. And the staff on a cruise ship go out of their way to make sure that people feel happy and pampered, that they enjoy themselves. And so in a cruise ship church, people who show up and are a part of that church are, are really just consumers. And the whole point of the church is just to keep people consuming a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, just to keep on coming and coming and keeping people happy. And he contrasts this idea of a, of a cruise ship church with a church that has a battleship mentality. A battleship draws people from different backgrounds and experiences together so that they can work towards a common mission, a mission that's greater than any particular individual. And the judgment of success for a battleship church isn't based on, you know, how happy people are, but on how well-prepared people are to achieve the mission they've been given. 
Everyone on a battleship has a role and has a responsibility. Each person on a battleship is valuable and important for what they do, and each person is counting on the person who's next to them to fulfill the role that they've been given. Uh, The crew on a battleship aren't looking out for their own interests. Uh, They're not looking for somebody else to meet their needs. Instead, there's a mutual care for one another that's built as people strive together uh, on the mission that they've been given. There's a, a mutual care for one another based on relationships that have been forged as each person says, you know what, I'm, I'm responsible for you in the same way that you're responsible for me. And so as you hear these kind of two descriptions of what a church might be, the kind of mentality that a church might have, which one do you think aligns the most with what Peter has in mind? You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Now, besides the fact that I'm a horrible cruise director, (laughs) I'm not going to make you happy. I'm sorry. Our our heritage as Methodists kind of underscores the battleship mentality that we're called to have. I was recently at a gathering of Global Methodists in Florida where they showed uh, this video of a guy by the name of Francis Asbury. He was the first bishop of the Methodist Church in America. Uh, and it said that in his 45 years of, of ministry, back in the kind of late 1700s, early 1800s, that he traveled over 300,000 miles on horseback across the newly forming United States. Before there were roads and highways and everything else, He was out on the saddle every day and every night from church to church to church, empowering them, equipping them so that they could have that battleship mentality. His mission was that they would raise up a generation that would win a generation for Christ. His mission was that he would spread scriptural holiness throughout the land, that people would come to know this God who had rescued him from darkness and into light. Now, Francis Asbury had little in the way of formal education. At the age of 12, he was forced to drop out. Uh, They said that he wasn't really all that great of a preacher. His sermons were disjointed and impossible to follow. What are you trying to say? (laughs) Yet this fledgling group of Methodists that that started with only a thousand people when he came to the United States would swell to over 200,000 people with more than 3,000 ministers who were ordained under his leadership. On October 15, 1924, there was a statue unveiled in Washington, D.C., which uh, had Asbury riding on horseback. It's one of only like, I think, 15 or 16 statues of people on horseback, and it's the only religious figure that's there. All the rest of the statues feature prominent military leaders, you know, Washington, Grant, Sherman, even Joan of Arc on a horse. But Asbury was the first and only religious figure to be pictured on a horse. On the day that the statue was unveiled, President Calvin Coolidge said, how many temples of worship dot our landscape? How many institutions of learning, some of them rejoicing in the name of Wesley, all trace the inspiration of their existence to the sacrifice and the service of this lone circuit rider. He's entitled to rank as one of the builders of our nation. That's a part of our heritage, a part of who we are. 
people who have experienced and encountered this God who has chosen them, who has set them apart, who has called them, who has given them his spirit, who has rescued them from darkness to light, and then go out and proclaim that to others. Asbury is said to have rode his horse through rainstorms, through hailstorms, in the midst of good and bad weather, sleeping on the ground with with a saddlebag as a pillow many nights because he was so convicted of this mission that God had given him because he was so filled with this gift of, uh, of the Spirit that, working within him that had called him and that had chosen him, that he couldn't rest without people knowing and hearing of this God who had done this work in his life and who wanted to do the same in theirs. And Francis Asbury lived his life to proclaim the excellence of the one who has called you out of darkness and into light, And so as those who follow in the footsteps of John Wesley and Francis Asbury, ultimately those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, this is our mission as well, to proclaim the one who has brought you from darkness into light. This morning, if, if you haven't experienced that kind of rescue and redemption if you haven't experienced that within your life, I would love to be able to, to pray with you after the service. I'd love to be able to talk with you about that, to help you find that one who has chosen and has called you uh, to step out of darkness and into light. Uh, but as we play our closing song, I'm just going to open up our prayer rails, a time to spend in prayer uh, so that you can dedicate yourselves to this mission that God has given you so that we can uh, offer ourselves, commit ourselves once again to being this people who God has called us to be. Uh, so that we can take on this battleship mentality that God has called us to have as we go out and share that good news of Jesus Christ through our words and through our actions. Uh, let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we do thank you uh, for this love that you have made known to us in Jesus. We thank you that you have chosen us um, as individuals and as a people to be those who bear your message, your good news, who share that with the world around us. Lord, we pray that you would do that rescuing work within our hearts and souls. Continue to move us from darkness and into light so that we might share and shine that light with others. May this church be a place that embodies that mission. May we be a place that is a place of hope and healing for many. May they find strength and comfort in and through you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.